This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it's episode 676 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick, and I won't even pick up a comic that doesn't at least have some sort of foil stamp on the cover. My name is Matt Bum. I'll be your head number two, and Joe, I gotta tell you, I was always more of a polybagged comic guy myself because it saves you the time of having to read them. You know what, though? Polybag, not a gimmick. Don't come at me <laughs> with polybags. They put stuff in them. That was the gimmick. You like it was That's not a gimmick. Dumb cards and crap. All you've done is is ruin a collectible. I would argue if you released a polybag and an unpolybag version, you got yourself a gimmick, son. There you go. No, sir. No, sir. <laughs> in this episode, a desperate nerd cries out into the cosmos and the cosmic long box answers by making us review eight classic back issue comics based on a theme, and you better believe these comics are gonna be worth some cash. Hot damn! After that, we'll leave you with our must-read picks for next week, but now... The Cosmic Long Box is vomiting forth time-displaced funny books, which means it's back issue review time in the ziggurat! <laughs> That's kind of how I felt reading some of these. I know. The 90s were a hell of a decade for comics with issues of X-Men and Spider-Man and Superman's death selling well over a million issues. What could lesser famous comics do to stand out on the new shelves? I present to you a parade of comics with some of the most ridiculous gimmick covers of all time. Wooly Toots called for this one and the cosmic long box is serving it up. Matt, start us off with a comic that lit up sales and the dark. <laughs> We're going to start with Ghost Rider number 15 from Marvel 1991. This was the first glow-in-the-dark cover ever released. Your creative team, it was written by Howard Mackey with art by Mark Texiera. By 1992, gimmick covers were hitting their stride, and Marvel raised the bar even higher with their very first glow-in-the-dark cover featuring Ghost Rider's flaming skull and eyes colored with glow-in-the-dark ink on a black background. The second print was on gold. I remember yeah. buying this comic off the rack and being blown away at how well they pulled off the glow effect. I even dug out my copy, charged it up under the light. Still glows. I love nice. it. Still glows. Nice. <laughs> the, the story sees Danny Ketch injured after a battle with Johnny Blaze, who was just Blaze at this time. And he had shot Danny with his Hellfire <laughs> shotgun in the previous issue. I see, mean, he's still Johnny Blaze. He's just like... Call me Blaze. Yeah, he's just going by Blaze. <laughs> Johnny at this time thought that Danny was Zarathos, even though Danny keeps going, Yeah, I'm not. Leave me alone. <laughs> he would think Zarathos was Well, Danny, like, yeah, Danny didn't know. <laughs> Danny Danny had no idea. Like right. they didn't find out, uh, they did not find out who Danny's spirit was until like three years into the run. I mean, sure, but the demon Ghost Rider kept saying, like, dude, it's not me. Go away. <laughs> but also, like, Ghost Rider, if I recall correctly, Ghost Rider does not really have all of his memories. He's no, just no, like, no. I don't think I'm Zarathos. Anyway, Danny was speeding to stop the villain Blackout from killing more innocents at the time. Blackout, I found out, not a vampire, but is no. a Lillin which is a demonic son of Lilith, <laughs> yes. the mother of demons. Danny briefly changes back to human form, gets jumped by crackheads, 
and then agents of heart steal his motorcycle and a bunch of others because they're looking for the ghost rider too. Of course, all parties figure out the ghost rider is the hero in the end. And blackout is the real villain. I mean, like no shit. He's got sharp teeth and a scary face and he's talking about killing kids, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, he's not a vampire, but he did like to bite people and drink their blood. Sure. Johnny shoots blackouts face off and Danny drives away into the night. Whew. When this series hit the stands, it was must buy multiple copies level. Huge. Ghost Rider was massively popular in the early 90s, and it was mainly because Mark Texiera made him look so badass. His art style was far from the hot X-Men house style of Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld. He had a more scratchy line. It was very sketchy style, but it just worked for Ghost Rider. It's very thick and brushy, yeah. brush-like. It's almost painterly. The dude of. was made to draw the nasty demons that Ghost Rider was going to punish. When this glow-in-the-dark cover hit, speculators went insane, buying stacks of them. Hell, I even bought one of each of the black and the gold cover. And for some reason, I bagged a gold second printing in Mylar and never read it. I don't know why I thought the second printing would be worth more. Because it's gold, baby. (laughs) The story's ridiculous. Mackie would write this entire run and the spinoff Spirits of Vengeance series. And it was one hell of a ride, I'll tell you. For the record, I never cared about the Spirits of Vengeance series. That only lasted two years, but this run of Ghost Rider was formative comic reading, even if Danny's bike is pretty extreme and dated looking back at it today. Oh, I love it. I love it still. I'm giving this cover a massive buy it. Buy several copies of it. It's so friggin' cool. And the comic, buy it. Take out a loan and buy as many as you can get. (laughs) Yeah, because it's going to put your kids through college. Even though your kids have probably already graduated, you can get this for $3.99 on eBay right now. <laughs> right. Uh, so you have until the end of my uh, thoughts to tell me what agents of uh, what heart stands for. I, uh, so start Googling. I don't have any idea. I didn't even <laughs> check. I couldn't figure it out. Start Googling. All right, you coward. Um, oh, but hey, you know what? Don't sleep on uh, Spirits of Vengeance because those early issues of Spirits of Vengeance, had, uh, Adam Kubert did the art. Yeah, and, like, I mean, like, they're the, great. He was like on like the first six or something or the first ten. Still, though, like I mean, and they were good. And a that's chunk, where, that's an arc, right? Yeah, that's where we're like, this, this series is going to be pretty good. And, uh, well, sure, yeah. Maybe it fizzles <laughs> out. It fizzles out. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, I never owned any copies of Ghost Rider personally. My cousin had a few. Too scary for you? Um, be honest. No, uh, you know, my, my parents were the type to question the presence of Mephisto in my stack of Marvel Universe yeah. trading cards. And I had to point out to the on to the on the back, Mom. Look, he's not the actual biblical devil. It says it right there in the "Did you know?" section. Humans engaging all racial terrorism. <laughs> racial? Yes, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, but uh, um, like my cousin and I used to loan each other our books all the time, and I I didn't read this issue, but I I read enough Ghost Rider to like love it, and I loved this. I loved this. It brought me right back to that you know 1990. What year was this? 1991. 1991. Uh, yeah, it took me right back, and I had a blast reading this. The cover is cool, even without the glow in the dark. It's just a great cover. It's just rad. And um, yeah, Mark Texiera or Texera or however you pronounce his last name, he's a legend. Like that dude went on to do other awesome stuff. He was the original artist on Christopher Priest Black Panther, and uh, yeah, it's. It's a huge buy it. This comic is great, even uh, even though some of it is 
admittedly pretty silly. <laughs> right after this, it made me want to get on eBay and find like a one sheet of his Marvel Masterworks card set where it's like all in one collection. Like, oh man. Oh yeah, yeah. I love those. <laughs> God, I love Yeah, them. the one sheets. Yeah, yeah. Turn out the lights. They glow in the dark. Centaur. All right, it's time to get serious now. I know we, we're, we're having some fun. We're talking about, you know, glow in the dark and flaming skulls and stuff. But I'm talking about deep introspection with Silver Surfer number 50. Also from 1991, also from Marvel Comics. It's written by Jim Starlin with art by Ron Lim. And here is your, uh, you know, here's your solicit. I'm just, look, I'm not, you know what it is. It's a solicit. It's a setup. Deal with it. In this 50th issue celebration, the Silver Surfer fights for his life against a stone golem with all the power and visage of his arch foe, Thanos. Plus, learn a secret, a dark secret, from Norrin Rad's past. By story's end, the Surfer plummets towards planet Earth, broken physically and mentally. Will he be able to warn Earth's heroes of the threat Thanos poses to the universe? Yes, it's the whole point. Matt and I kind of approach our reviews a little bit differently. I put my gimmick in the in the little setup here. Uh, this issue's gimmick, foil embossed cover. And I believe this is the first ever cover to incorporate both foil and embossing. Confirmed. Yes. Um, and so what that means is, uh, you know, foil means it's parts of it are metallic. The silver parts. Embossing means that it kind of comes out like there's a shape on yeah, the comic, textured. right? They like pressed it. Yeah, it's textured. Like yeah. the so Silver Surfer's body is like, yeah, you can feel it. It's gross. You can touch his dirty purples. Okay, easy. He doesn't have purples. He's a cosmic. If baby. you're, you can touch his dirty silvers. This issue is a prelude to Infinity Gauntlet number one, arguably Marvel's most important event of the '90s, and part of the blueprint for much of the MCU. Jim Starlin takes readers on a flashback tour of the surfer's tragic past, including a glimpse of his origin and transformation at the hands of Galactus, the Devourer. It's pretty great. It's a very Kirby homage. It's pretty dark stuff for a kid's comic from the 90s. Yeah. But Starlin, Starlin has never been one to shy away from heavy themes. It's pretty good stuff. It's surfer figures out just how screwed the universe is while getting his ass handed to him by a statue with the face and voice of Thanos, who's controlling it from afar. And I cannot believe that I forgot how Hulk's fall to Earth in Avengers Infinity War is almost an exact match for how Surfer crash lands into Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum uh, in, in at the end of this issue and in Infinity Gauntlet number one. I was like, it's, it's a classic homage. It's so, so well done. The art by Ron Lim is pretty much exactly the same as it always has been. It's solidly executed superhero action art. I am a fan. I don't know if I would still want to be reading it every month, you know, today. No, no 30, God, no. 30 years later. <laughs> so exhausting. <laughs> but, but like back, but back then I was like, yeah, this is great art. It was great. The cover is super cool with surfer gleaming in the light and bursting from the page. Silver Surfer number 50 was a tremendous hit in 1991, fetching big bucks and going through a ton of printings. It's a good comp with a great cover gimmick. This is a buy it. Yeah, it, it's hard to know back in, and we're going to talk about this with a lot of these comics, but it's hard to know, was this a huge hit? Or was this another huge speculator buy where they were just like, gotta get it, oh, super well, rare! Probably, <laughs> I mean, probably, <laughs> you know, 
Now, it I mean, what, but you know what? What makes a hit? People buying it. People I suppose buy it. it's a I hit. Suppose. But the other side of that is, did people buy it, or did it just get ordered massively? Because I remember plenty of these being around for years and years and years and years, and it's not worth much I, now. So <laughs> no, I mean, I I do think that the sales were high, like like any comic from back sure. then. It's the nineties. Death were, of Superman. They were bonkers. Ghost Rider fifteen. People bought it in droves, right. which is why it went through multiple printings, printings on printings on printings. Sure. But then again, you know, it's hard to know is all I'm saying. I love this book. I love this run. I loved this cover. And I remember it's a great run. I, and in fact, I was I, at first I was like, oh, it's Ron Mars. But no, it's Jim Starlin. Yeah, it was Starlin. This worked yeah. on me when I was young because I was not reading Silver Surfer at the time. And this cover, I looked at it and went need that <laughs> took yep. it home read it mm -hmm. had no idea what was going on and then i got into the silver surfer after that dug around found some stuff fell in love with it totally worked for me i'm giving this cover a huge buy it give the comic buy it too i love boil embossed comics i think they're awesome <laughs> i think we're gonna find for the most part we're pretty enthusiastic about uh, cover gimmicks in general oh, most of them sure. not all of them not all yeah, of them and not everything that's in between the covers Segway. <laughs> speaking of which protectors number five from malibu the year was 1992 this was written by r.a jones with art by thomas derenick and inks by diodato yeah that diodato was mike he was just going by uh yeah. diodato at the time it's the 90s could time to be a cool guy right yeah Back in 1992, gimmick covers were. I mean, if he was that, if he was that cool, how come he didn't draw it? He was an inker. He was coming up. He was doing his thing. All right. I know. I I know. And I, I actually have a thought about that when when I get to my turn. Back in 1992, gimmick covers were all the rage, and die cut comics were one of my favorites. Wolverine Volume One, Number 50, probably had the coolest die cut cover of all time, with three claw marks in the cover that revealed the art on the first page. But one of the most famous were probably Protectors Number Five for its bullet hole cover that actually cut through all of the pages regardless of the art or advertisements and no one fans included were impressed <laughs> pretty original <laughs> idea though right put a bullet hole in the chest of the character that dies in the book only problem is according to cbr's comic book legends revealed blog by brian cronin writer r.a jones was approached by too much coffee man creator shannon wheeler yes showed him an issue that he shot with a real bullet and actually incorporated the idea into the story of the Too Much Coffee Man book two months before this protector's issue came out. Now, there's a Wheeler quote here, and I just want to read it because it's fairly damning. This is what Wheeler had to say. I'm always mad when I see that protector's cover. It's true. My friends and I shot our comic book with a gun. Right around the same time, the protector's die cut a hole in their comic book. Two months before either of our books came out, we met the writer of The Protectors, I think it was R.A. Jones, at the Dallas Fantasy Fair comic show. We gave him a promotional mini-comic that detailed our idea. We even shot the mini-comic with a gun. We were shocked and pissed off when we saw that we'd been ripped off. I asked Jones about it when we were on a panel, and he said it was a last-minute thing that they did. Some of their advertisers were mad, too, since the whole went through their ads. It's important to note that the insides of their book did not accommodate the whole at all. He claimed no. he didn't know where they'd gotten the idea. Wheeler said, we actually shot every one of our comics with a gun. The standard issue was shot with a 22. We had special editions of a nine millimeter, 45, and a shotgun issue. We charged more for the higher caliber <laughs> books. The shotgun issue came in a bag for 20 bucks. 
and was guaranteed to be unreadable. Our bullet hole went through the middle of the book. We asked the artist to incorporate the hole into their stories. In my Too Much Coffee Man story, the police were continually shooting into a house, and I placed the hole in a breaking window, shot Elvis decanter, shattering coffee mugs, etc. So, there you go. The story in this issue centers around the death of Night Mask. Spoiler, sure, but the cover does say, this issue features the death of a protector, and it features a bullet hole in the chest of the only protector that wears a deep V-neck that goes all the way down to his pants. Sure, you can't see his face. It was even instantly obvious to me without ever previously reading any protectors. I got the second page and went, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> Nightmast is tricked into a trap, or I guess you could also say he walks directly into a trap and then tries to fight off one of the protectors' big bads, a Darth Vader, Dr. Doom knockoff with a pole. <laughs> The whole execution is, of course, televised. So, Amazing Man, Man of War, Eternal Man, and Air Man. You see any patterns going on here? Man Man. I thought the Legion had Woman bad code man. names. <laughs> Along with the other protectors can watch Nightmax execution. While not as poorly written as some of the other 90s stuff I'll talk about shortly. <laughs> How did Nightmax get away with, without a man name? <sighs> Well, why he was, was he, he, was why wasn't the, he the first night man? He, he was new to the team. His dad was a man or something. He's like, I'm not complaining. His, dad, dad. his dad was a previous I'm my man, own yeah. dude or whatever. While yeah, not yeah. as poorly written as some of the other 90s stuff I'll talk about shortly, Jones doesn't do night mask any favors with the setup. Instead of a brave or even brash, he comes off as pretty stupid and doesn't even get shot with a bullet, I might add. So what is with this bullet hole? <laughs> the rest of the team can't find him because of all the static on their communicators, which makes the team look pretty stupid, too. <laughs> the art is fine, but Derenick's style would improve massively in the next few years and would never have to deal with holes in the center of his comics again. The gimmick on the cover is clever. It does the comic no service, and I found the stiff writing in almost emotionless characters impossible to root or care for as a cover rating the dude stole the idea the character doesn't even get shot with a bullet and having a hole in your entire comic is not a gimmick unless you work it into the art like shannon wheeler did leave it the comic i'm gonna give a gimmick. i'm not giving the of course comic it's a leave gimmick it. i'm giving it a le- what i'm saying is the gimmick fails the gimmick totally fails i mean the gimmick doesn't make any sense yeah because yeah. the character doesn't get shot well now hold on <laughs> Who's to say that it's a bullet hole? Maybe it's a laser hole. They call it the bullet hole cover. It's smoking. I know that that's what people call it, but. Fair enough. I'm just saying, you know. I'm giving the comic a skim it. Originally, I gave it a yeah, leave it. Yeah. I mean, this, it wasn't as bad as. So I gave this a leave it. And then I read some of the other stuff that I read. I went, that, this stuff is so much worse than that one. I got to raise this one a little bit. So I, okay. I'm yeah. Skim all right. It. I mean, I think I know what you're going to talk about. Um. So I read this. Uh, my cousin also had this issue, which like I think says more about my cousin than anything else. He he had all the like weirdo comics. So I read this as a kid, just in nineteen or Malibu listeners. Way to go! It, well, sorry, <laughs> I mean he. They were weird. Malibu was it, weird. It's, it's not that Malibu is weird. It's Malibu that this comic weird. is weird. So yeah, in nineteen ninety two, I was you know thirteen, fourteen years old, and. Uh, yeah, I read this and I was like, yeah, okay, sure, bullet hole, great. Um, I read it again and I was pleasantly surprised by it just because I was like, oh, I was expecting this to be terrible. But Malibu was known for kind of having okay comics. Like they, they, they're they not 
considered one of those nineties joke. No, you know, I like people like the ferret. People liked in some of these comics. Oh, the were- ferret, yeah, the ferret. Oh, the ferret's in this comic. Yeah. He's the other one that doesn't have a man name. But yeah, uh, and I, I, I thought the art was okay. I was like, oh, you know, for the '90s, this art is pretty decent. And I, I, I looked at the art before I saw the credits, and I was like, oh, did Mike Diodato draw this? <laughs> I think the cover has the creators' names on it. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, I saw Tom Derenick's name. And I was like, oh, no, Tom Derenick. Oh, that's weird. It doesn't look anything like Tom Derenick. And then I saw Inked by Diodato, and I was like, aha. So Mike Diodato, like, even back then, his style could not be denied. Yeah, it's there. Uh, And, and, you know, he kind of elevates the art, I think, of Tom Derenick, who I've never really cared for that much. The story is whatever. Like, it's... It, it's like it's if, a, if they were doing a thing where they were like, well, I want to tell a superhero story, but my superhero story, they have all kinds of IT problems. You know, like, well, is that interesting? I mean, it's it's a like it's a plot. It's a it's a plot twist in search of a plot. Right. right you know, it's yeah. like we we all know that it's all about the death of Night Mask. And right. so we spend the whole issue trying to get like, all right, well, uh, uh, look, when are we going to get to the death of Night Mask? OK, all right. So he's going to fight these guys. Oh, no, don't fight those guys it's a bad idea they tell him it's a bad idea he doesn't anyway oh he survives he says it's a bad idea too he's like, it's a bad yeah, idea and then it, like and then that and then that happens like two or three times until finally he he meets dr darth vader and darth vader burns a hole through his chest darth doom um, either way either one works yeah, darth, right. right i like dr darth vader though. um but you know whatever it's whatever like the gimmick is dumb and it's doubly dumb now that i know that they stole it because i didn't know that at first i thought that jab which was the shannon wheeler comic was parodying this comic um so i was gonna give this uh, i'm giving this a skimmick just on based on the uh, how i felt about the actual story um the gimmick is is bad the gimmick is bad and dumb and and everybody was mad it literally made everyone mad the writer thought it was a good idea that was it (laughs) well and like like there's a like the it it is it is done with no thought whatsoever because like there's a there is a panel where it's like there's an explosion oh no yeah and it's like and you can't see the explosion because there's a hole (laughs) the hole is there and there's just like little lines coming out it's like yeah Yeah, it's like oh no (laughs) that must be where night mask is i i i don't know you can't see it so yeah skim it bad gimmick Now it's time for the main event. It's the baddest bastard in the galaxy versus the long-haired man of tomorrow. It's Superman, Man of Steel, number 30 from DC Comics. The year was 1994. It's written by Louise Simonson with art by John Bogdanov. Here is your solicit. Lobo heads to Earth to challenge Superman and prove that even though Superman was resurrected, he ain't better than the main man. The cover gimmick... It's color forms. Actual color forms. Yeah. You know, those things that five-year-olds play with. <laughs> uh, color forms. The things that immediately got lint all over the back yeah. and became useless. Uh, that brief description is almost literally the entirety of the plot contained within the pages of Man of Steel number 30. And, you know, hey, maybe that's all right. I don't know. There's some nonsense about random aliens following Lobo to Earth to get revenge for something he destroyed or whatever, but it really just serves as the reason for Superman and Lobo to stop fighting each other and team up. 
Louise Simonson's script is definitely full of words, but it's mainly just Lobo spouting actual nonsense. It's Superman reacting like Lobo says stuff like Fetal's giz, which is his catchphrase. Sure, but he also one of things, his many catchphrases. He also says things like not bad for a rootin' tootin' square shootin' buckaroo. <laughs> That's true. What? <laughs> it, it, it's true. I do take I take that back though. There is also a subplot about Lex Luthor Jr., aka Lex Sr. in a clone body, starting to go bald, which is hilarious. <laughs> The highlight is John Bogdanov's insane art. Uh, this 22-page fight scene is little more than an excuse to showcase his over-the-top style and dozens of ridiculous creature designs. Superman the Man of Steel 30 is nonstop mayhem with great art and a really unique cover gimmick. Now, I'm not saying it's something that you would want to, like... I don't know how much novelty there is, but I think it's fun. The idea that you can take the pictures of the character and make your own cover is kind of neat. Sure. I think it, I don't know that it was ever done before or ever done since. Uh, it's a lot of fun with almost no redeeming value beyond that. Um, I'm giving this a buy it because I thought it was a blast. I thought it was super fun to read. Like even the main cover without the color form thing is really great. It's a uh, Superman fighting Lobo. And then just like big block letters saying fight, 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 fight all the way down the margins. It's, it's really good. Uh, so yeah, it's a buy it for me, but I can already tell that it's, uh, not going to be a bite for Max. <laughs> I do not like John Bogdanov's art. Oh, you are not right. You're I don't wrong. Like it. I'm sorry. I don't like it. I, it's proportions no. are bizarre. And I get there's plenty of people that do weird stuff with their style. I don't like his weird style. And I, it doesn't do anything for me. And if, if all I'm going to get is a Lobo and Superman fight and a really dumb script, at least give me some pretty art to look at. That's where I'm at. Make it look sexy. Cause it, it's like, you made it look funky and crazy and the script is funky and crazy. And halfway through, I was like, how much more of this funky, crazy BS do I need to read? <laughs> I, I did not care. Um, I, this whole long haired Superman period when DC was like, we got to make this book more extreme. So it sounds like the other extreme stuff. It, it just doesn't work. And we'll talk about some other extreme stuff later that may or may not work on certain levels, but this doesn't work for Superman for me. And I feel nothing for it. The color form thing, I have a feeling retailers hated it because I'll bet it was hard to keep them on the cover. I'll bet they had all kinds of problems with this. Well, I mean, that, uh, you know what? This would have had to have come in a bag. Yeah, it was probably had to have come in a bag. It was polybagged, I'm sure. So, yeah. So you couldn't pick it up and check it out until unless you ordered the unpolybagged version with the normal cover. So I don't know. I'm giving the cover gimmick. I'll leave it. I'm giving the book. I'll leave it. I don't care. Like this is you know, nothing okay, for yeah. me. And you know what? You've said your piece, and and that's what we do here on Two Editor yeah. Comic Book Podcast. And I am not one to say tell somebody that they're wrong. You've done uh, that about to me their personal on the last about three their shows personal in a row. <laughs> no 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 about their personal opinion, like their personal taste. That's different. Um, I think you are wrong about John Bogdanov, but that's okay too. You I, know, I, hey. I do not like it. It just doesn't do anything for me. It's okay. I mean, you you know what, you sweet summer child. I still love you. It's okay. The name's Lobo. That's L as in lacerate, O as in obliterate, B as in disembowel, and O as in uh. Oh, I guess I can use obliterate twice, huh? What do you think? So let's talk real extreme comics. Let's talk Blood Strike, <laughs> yeah, number yeah. one, from Image, 1993. This was written by Eric Stevenson, 
which I'm sure he doesn't like to admit it to this day, with layouts by Rob Leefield and finished pencils by Dan Fraga. Now, I had, to, I, I had to read the remastered version because I don't own this and I couldn't find it anywhere. Rob Leefield writes an intro, and they were very proud of this. He says, 25 years ago, I had the opportunity to assemble a studio of wonderful, fresh, and dynamic talents, artists that could create comics for the next generation of comic fan. Times were a-changing, and Image and Extreme were at the forefront of comic book revolution. Nice start. Then he says, due to limited space, please visit my website, robleefieldcreations.com, for a longer examination on the thought and work that went into creating the original Blood Strike number one and this remastered edition. Sincerely, Rob Leefield. Holy cow. <laughs> Imagine the Suicide Squad, but their shtick is they get killed and brought back from the dead. Count a, count a knockoff Wolverine and a cable with a ponytail in their ranks. Have more sex and wacky violence that makes only slightly more sense than the plot. And you've got Bloodstrike. A comic so macho and dumb, it jumped from issue 10 to issue 25 and probably inspired young members of Drowning Pool <laughs> to write Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. Now, hold on. Did it jump from issue 10 to issue 25 because it did that thing where it's like, here's what would have happened if we picked it up later? I think it was something like that, yeah. It was 1993. Rob Leefield and friends told Marvel to kick rocks and headed to Image Comics to prove they had a million different ways to rip off the X-Men. <laughs> Gimmick covers were all the rage, but only one comic was mean enough to feature a comic that actually bled. Well, kind of bled anyway. The cover featured a black and white picture of the team, but there were also splashes of thermal ink that turned red when you rubbed it. Sort of. And it didn't always work. Which yeah. sounds gross and probably ruined the condition of plenty of these, which is fine since Image printed well over a million copies of this comic. <laughs> Bloodstrike reads like Rob Leefield screamed the plot into one of the first 90 cell phones that weighed as much as a brick while speeding to the studio and his bitchin' Camaro to film his Levi's commercial. Cabot, who is Cable with a top knot ponytail, narrates the mission. No intros or history of the team needed. That's how macho they are. The team has to break into a base called Jericho. No explanation as to what the Jericho base is, what goes on there. It's just a badass base full of nameless guys in purple to kill. But later it's revealed overweight Lex Luthor, Commander Corbin, hired the team to break into his own facility to prove he could kill them. You know, so he could have job security, I guess. <laughs> Instead, he yeah. ends up standing in front of the team telling them his plan only have tag a woman drawn with six foot long legs that freezes people with her power when she touches them, which is hard to illustrate. So Cabot had to expressly narrate how her powers work at one point. At that point, a big round armored character named Shogun, who's drawn so large so Fraga can take a break on drawing backgrounds when he shows up, whips out a bunch of guns to fill Captain Corbin full of lead, you know, like a Shogun warrior. Now that's a big macho end to a comic with big bloody balls. Oh, Dan Fraga was definitely operating at a higher level than Leefield at the time, but the art was still very 90s image, all style. You can tell Leefield did the layouts oh, yeah. because there's a lot of real questionable. But Fraga was definitely a Leefield clone too. Like when he got his own job. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was school mm -hmm. of Rob mm -hmm. Leefield. Well, for sure, yeah. All style, not a lot of talent, is what I'm saying. The character designs are all directly lifted from every popular Marvel and DC title you can think of. Guns look like future meat grinders with handles and lights <laughs> everywhere, and the pouches 
so many pouches. <laughs> Bloodstrike reads like it was developed by hyper macho children fed a steady diet of Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and X-Men comics. With all that said, it is what it is, and I get why nerds appreciate this book. It almost reads like a piece of outsider action-adventure art. Maybe this is genius. Maybe I'm the dummy, but man, no. This is why people make fun of 90s comics all packed into one issue, complete with a cover that bleeds when you rub on it. <laughs> now, the cover gimmick, I'm giving it a buy it, all right? Because it's very creative. It didn't always work, but very creative. And I hope you bought a bunch of them just so you could prove that this dumb thing existed, okay? The comic, giving it a leave it. We don't need yes, no blood strikes. Sucks. I don't need to hear how like, no way they were doing a thing and they're what? No, they weren't. They were rushing out comics that were ripped off as fast as they can. There, so there was issues of this where like, where Tag paralyzes a dude and rapes him and gives him some sort of like weird zombie STD thing. Later, Deadlock gets redesigned. He's the one that's complete Wolverine ripoff, right? And I assume he gets redesigned because Marvel is like cease and desist. And when they finally get to the big crossover in issue 10 with Brigade, the team is killed and just left dead. Even though in every issue they talk about how like, well, we can't die. We can't die. But that's it. And when we jump to issue 25, we get a whole new blood strike. And it's like code name blood strike. That would have been like, here's what would have happened if we had kept on going. Maybe like, this is where we'd be if we'd kept on going. Maybe something along the Which lines. Which is hilarious. But no mention that they of the thought team. that the comics would come out monthly. The team were just just gone. <laughs> Never yeah, mentioned yeah, no, code name, code name blood strike. You mentioned ripping off the X-Men. Actually, this is um, not the first time, but the second time that Rob Liefeld ripped off himself. Oh, yeah. Because you already had Youngblood, which I guess is a ripoff of the X-Men. I mean, kind of, not really. I don't know. Avengers, it, a little bit of both. Uh, you know. Yeah, you know, right. Like, it's certainly, you know, traditional superhero adjacent. You got an archer guy. You got a big rock guy. Um, but then you have Brigade, which is a ripoff of Youngblood. So sorry, spinoff uh, of Young Blood, and then you've got Bloodstrike, which is a ripoff of Brigade. Oh no, wait. Okay, so no, Cabot, Brigade number one came out after this. Yes, because the end of this, they show they show a picture of Brigade, and then it's like, stay tuned for Brigade number one, because the leader so, of Brigade, okay, who also has two cute like, is who also Cabot's has a flat top brother, two cute braided ponytails, is Cabot skulls. He's got the little skull on his forehead like a bindi. So, okay, I, I take that back. This is the first time Rob Liefeld ripped off himself. Correct. Brigade would be the second time Rob yes. Liefeld ripped off himself. Yeah. And he did both before the first one had even come out. Yep. Um, Battlestone. That was the Battlestone. Yes, yes, that's his name. Definitely his name. And uh, this comic is bad. It's it's terrible. It's it's very bad. The, the, the writing is bad. The art is bad. Uh, the art is better than if Liefeld had drawn it. Yes. But Liefeld provided the layouts and yeah, there, look, there's scenes of like when Shogun jumps through it, like Shogun, the big metal dude, like jumps through yeah. the, you know, the, the glass ceiling and he's coming yes. down and he's supposed to be jumping. So his knees are out in front of him. Right. But the way he's drawn, it looks like they're completely disconnected from his body and maybe floating. Right. Uh, because Shogun, <laughs> uh, because Shogun is a character whose design has almost no distinct detail. No. It is just basically a lump of curvy metal. He's round. And you know what? Nothing screams Shogun 
like a giant armored warrior packing guns. Sure. Well, well, he did have like, the V thing that's sort of like a Shogun helmet. Yeah, and right. He had like a samurai kind of shape to his helmet. Sure. I don't believe um, he was Asian either. So. <laughs> no, you know what? It might. He might just be a robot for yeah, all I know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They do say armor. Um, He's in armor. So. Okay, fine. That's fine. Um, rub the blood. Sure, it's uh, inventive, but uh, they actually like they literally had to put the words "rub the blood" in all caps on the cover. Yeah, because nobody knew, so that people would understand what to do with it. Because otherwise, if you looked at it absent those instructions, you would be like, "What is? There's something wrong with my hologram, right. or you know, or whatever." Well, it was I, kind I, of it was like a weird bag of blood, but the liquid was clear. It had like a pl- like a plastic sheen over the over the photo part right so like it was contained right like right. you could cut that off and get to the blood underneath gross. and which is yeah gross and i don't think that's how thermal ink works but that's kind of how it looks got to be carcinogenic or at least poisonous yeah so you have to tell people how to use the gimmick which is already like a strike in your favor <laughs> uh, a strike against you i should say um yeah no this is a terrible comic i'm sorry it's bad like look if you like if you like the this, that's fine. Uh, like, you know what? More power to you. I thought this was terrible. It's a leave it. So much blood! <laughs> you know, most people think that gimmick covers are reserved for special occasions, but I like my gimmick covers to be on issues that are just for shits and giggles. It's Guy Gardner Warrior number 29. It's appropriate because we Not missed th- issue episode 675 where we could have done this. Yeah. And we're doing it in episode oh, 676. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not number 25. It's not nope. number 30. Nope. It's 29. Uh, it's from DC. It's from uh, 1995. It's written by Bo Smith with art by Phil Jimenez. How about that? There you go. Here's your solicit. Guy Gardner holds the grand opening to his Warriors Bar, which is attended by dozens of the top superheroes of the day and their ponytails. But things get out of control when Guy starts fighting Captain Adam uh, for reasons that are explained in the comic. And the violence only escalates with the arrival of Lobo. Isn't that always the way? 90s Lobo, Lobo, Lobo. I I didn't even plan that, really. Eventually, a massive bar brawl breaks out between the heroes because, of course, it does. Sure. Uh, the cover gimmick for this issue is a fold is fold open bar doors, like saloon doors, that reveal the massive party within. It's so great. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Guy Gardner Warrior Twenty Nine features even less plot than the Superman issue I just reviewed. Mm-hmm. If that could even be possible. It's like if you're, if Lobo, no plot. There you go. <laughs> it's, you're right. Yeah, really. Yeah. The plot is the plot is Lobo. Right. Uh, it's the grand opening of warriors guys, him themed watering hole. And that's really about it. Dark side's keeping an eye on the event. So, you know, it's important. Lobo shows up, which provides the evening's entertainment and all of 1995's hottest heroes are in attendance, looking their most extreme. Bo Smith's the character designs in this comic. Holy cow. Like I had forgotten. (laughs) I'm not trying to build myself up or anything. I just, just by sheer exposure. I think I am literally a DC comics expert. And I read this comic and went, who's that? I don't even remember. Yeah. I, just, I, can't, I could not identify most of the characters, uh, many of the characters in this comic. I assumed I didn't, I just didn't know, but I'm happy. To yeah, no, many of that. them are unrecognizable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
both Smith's script is action-packed and fast-paced, but it's got a lot going on in terms of juggling characters. It also doesn't help that it's just assumed that you already know the status quo of everyone at the party, uh, which was unlikely even 27 years ago. A fresh-faced Phil Jimenez is on art, and he was great even back then, the obvious successor to George Perez. The colors by Gene D'Angelo are less successful. They're too dark, and they're occasionally muddled, and I think they kind of take the art down a notch. There's also, there is this uh, kind of like ongoing antagonist in Guy Gardner uh, called the Dementor. Uh, not like the Harry Potter Dementor, but he's like a crazy dream monster man. And he shows up and he's like messing with the Arkham villains for no reason. I'm not, I'm not even sure why he's in this comic. And I read Guy Gardner Warrior. So like I'm, I read this again and I'm like, why is Dementor even here torturing Goldface for no reason? And of all characters, it's Goldface. <laughs> Guy Gardner Warrior 29 is a mess of a comic, which is probably only worth reading for fans of the character, of which I am one. The cover gimmick, however, is simple, genius, and fun. I'm giving it a skim it because I'm a Guy fan, and it is fun to see Phil Jimenez go crazy, um, but there's no story. There's nothing. I even like this idea of guy owning a bar. I love like, it. I based love off of him. Yeah, it's great. And like, it's around still today. Yeah. And it's green and, lantern theme today, but you know, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, but it used to be just all about the exploits of guy Gardner, his right. own biggest fan. Right. There's even like a planet Hollywood dig Schwarzenegger, Stallone and Bruce Willis show up <laughs> to crash the party and they see the fight and they're like, no. And then they leave. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a skim it at best. Okay, so I was going to take it very easy on this comic because I was going to say, this is, this is your world, not mine. So it's not sure. fair for me to be like, I don't understand what's going on. But when I hear you say, I don't understand what was going on and there was nothing, there was no plot. Guess what, Joe? This is a massive pile of crap with very pretty art by Phil Jimenez. Okay. Well, sure. So, but get, you know, good art covers over many sins. So that, that, that gets For me some people. halfway better to where I was in than the last Superman Lobo fight. We just, we just read now with that said, this was so much more of a bigger mess. This was insane. <laughs> yeah, I know. It really is. Totally it really is. insane. Like, like I had, I thought like, okay, I read this completely sober. So completely sober Monday, Yikes. Tuesday nights. I don't drink in. I don't drink. I don't partake. I just sit down, read my comics, write my reviews. And I stopped at one point and I was like, I am too high to read this. And I went, Oh my God, I'm not high at all. <laughs> this is bad. It's just bad. I do not I mean, care about guy Gardner warrior. I know you've got a soft spot for him, but this was like trying to be funny. Wasn't funny. Trying to be weird. Came off as weird, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> like, yeah. The cover's great. I'll give the cover gimmick huge buy it. This comic is a piece of crap. Leave it. Okay. I mean, I'll, like, I'll give. Uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for Guy Gardner, uh, Warrior. Uh, Guy specifically as a character. But I like Guy Gardner. I like Guy Gardner. I just don't uh, this Warrior I, I, stuff. I like. I like Guy Gardner Warrior because um, Bo Smith had a soft spot for neglected characters. Sure. Like. Um, Congo Bill is a main character in this book. Yeah, El Diablo um, shows up. <laughs> I recognize Well, I mean, El Diablo, El Diablo is just one of the hot teen heroes of the of 1995. Um, but 
uh, like Lady Lady Blackhawk, who got um, stuck in 1995 as a result of Zero Hour. Like she shows up here with because she had no place else to go. And guys like, yeah. And she was in the book for the rest of the book. Good for her. Rest of the series. Good for her. And uh, yeah, like Arisia, the Greenlander, the teenager that dated Hal Jordan, the teenager that dreamed she was an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy. Um, (laughs) We talked about that a while back. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's uh, like, so there's a lot of like fun, like, I'm sure there is completely unknown characters. Not in um, this book. <laughs> Not in this. No, there is, no, they're in the, they're in the book. I mean, they're it's in just, here. Like if you don't know, if you don't know that you're, if you don't know the, to right. look for them, then you won't catch it. This is a guy um, Gardner shotgun blast to the face is what it's a guy. Gardner, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's guy Gardner shotgun blast to the face. You're Not absolutely right. For it. Speaking of shotgun blast to the face. I'm talking about <laughs> bloodshot. Number one from Valiant 1993 is written by Kevin Van Hook with art by Don Perlin and cover art by Barry Windsor Smith. Mm, what could have been? Here is your actual solicit because you know who else does a really good job on their fandom? Valiant. The Valiant Wiki. Very yeah, impressive, nice. guys. A criminal slash terrorist operation is suddenly shattered by a vigilante with burning eyes and a crimson disc upon his chest. Bloodshot has arrived. Soon, a pair of Inhuman manhunters are dispatched to bring to bring Bloodshot back to the lab where they are all spawned. But the synthetic blood in these speed shots is a pale imitation of the blood of heroes in Bloodshot's veins. It's like they're getting paid by the blood in this solicit, I think. <laughs> and the nanite-enhanced hero prevails! Spoiler, because if you're reading the comic, it sure looks like he's going to die. But the solicit's like, nah, he's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> The year was still 1993. And unlike Image, Valiant Comics was putting out some very high quality comic books with characters that are still around today. Valiant also went nuclear and took the gimmick comic cover war to near Armageddon with the first full chromium comic cover. Valiant was hot as hell at the time. And with help from Wizard Magazine Price Guide inflating prices on their early issues, it, yeah, they, they drove speculators insane. When they saw this chromium cover of Bloodshot number one, they lost their damn minds. According to Jason Sachs, American Comic Book Chronicles, 1990s, this issue shipped more than 742,000 copies and almost single-handedly popped the comic speculator bubble. Turok, number one, would do that later the same year, shipping 1,750,000 copies, of which some old-time comic shop owners estimate maybe 200,000 actually sold. <laughs> which is still a lot by today's standards. Yeah, it is. But that but leaves a there's lot no of big, yeah. sexy Chromium covers redlined in a quarter bin so <laughs> i have uh i have discounted so many copies of turok number one. Oh it's yeah not even funny i think i sat on a pile of them grading comics whole long boxes yeah. whole long boxes oh easily yeah. <laughs> bloodshot is an interesting enough character the nanites in your blood thing was still very fresh in 1993 bloodshot had guns swords blew people's brains out it was a more violent adult and better written punisher than at the time featuring Yakuza and Mafia mixed with a little sci-fi. I could see why people dug the story. The Art by Don Perlin. Man is a legend. Joe Patrick loves him. It's a little rough. No, excuse me. <laughs> you asked me, you said you love Don Perlin, right? And I said, no. You said, yeah. No, you said you love Don Perlin, right? 
or am I making that up? And I said, yes, which I guess I should have oh, clarified. Okay. I meant that you're making that up. Okay. I thought, cause you were going to be like, now hold on here. I'd get all mad. At no, me. I have nothing good. I have nothing about Don Perlin. Good. No. The guy has real silver age chops. He's got talent for sure. And some of this looks very good. Other panels get weird <laughs> with bloodshot in extremely herky jerky poses making stroke victim faces. None of the art is terrible and some looks pretty good. He just seems like a really odd choice for a comic. And it kind of blows my mind that this was as hot as it was compared to other comics that were on the stands at the time. This is 1993, right? So like the X-Men are electric Jim Lee is blowing up the world, you know, with talent and everybody loves Rob Leefield. And you've got Don Perlin running your bloodshot book that, that everybody needed at the time. <laughs> I remember seeing this chromium cover on the stands and thinking it was amazing until I picked it up and realized it was this micro thin wrapper on a cardstock cover. Basically, <laughs> I think a glance at the art inside. And I put it back. Cover rating looks cool. Isn't that cool? I'm giving it a leave it. The book skimming at best. I cannot believe Bloodshot started like this and exists to this day, quite honestly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's pretty much Bloodshot. Like it's I'm not saying it's, it's not. It's Bloodshot. I'm it's, saying it, I've never read this like first issue of Bloodshot. And no, like, neither have I. And no. I can put myself in 90s kid head. When I go back and read 90s comics, be like, yeah, I, 90s kid would freak out about that. If I'm 90s kid and I read this, I'd go, well, I can read this or I can read the X-Men. GTFO, sure. you know, like, like whatever. So, so here, regarding the art, here's the text exchange. Um, you love Don Perlin, right? Am I making that up? My response, yes. And I took so it as, to, you love Don To Burma. be fair, uh, I answered the second question first. I right. should have known better. No, I don't. I have no affection for Don Perlin. I am from, like, I know his name right. from being around in the 80s and 90s. But um, he was kind of an this old guy, too. Was he not great. late 70s? Yeah, I think he's been around a long time. Okay. Um, but like, I literally don't know anything about him other than Don Perlin is a comic book artist. Fair enough. Right. So I have no, like, there are, there are no, like that one Don Perlin run you got to read. Like right. I no, there's no such thing. Him and Bob Layton, um, good buddies. Good for him. Yeah. But yeah, the art in this is, is not great. No. Uh, the story is okay. The story is okay. Story's fine. It's fine. And it, like, it, I read it and it was like, this is recognizable as Sure. Bloodshot. You got nanites, you got healing, you got Uzis. So it's bloodshot. Yeah. You've even, you've even got some rival bloodshot guys, you know, that sure. are like su sumo twins. They're not sumo wrestlers, but nope. they might as well be. Bloodshot is just massacring people in broad daylight, which is kind of a, a, a choice, but Hey, whatever. I, I think um, that was part they of all what, had it coming. Yeah. I mean, but I think that was part of like at the time, you know, image was getting real extreme and Valiant was doing like straight up violence and Marvel and DC we're still doing that violence sort of yeah. off panel. Sure. You but know? if you look at it, but if you look at it, it's like, not I, like you can, no, you I, can hear the words that, that I'm saying, but if you look at the comic, you're like, it's not all that. Extreme. No, it, it's like um, he shoots a guy in the head and there's just like, bleh, like, you know, comic motion lines coming out of the other side of his head. It's not like, yeah, gore, it's like, right? yeah, no, it's not like but you actually see like back in 93, we like opened that kids probably opened up and went, Whoa, he shot yeah. that dude. Uh, the cover is cool. You know, that's really the best thing it's got going for it. So it's a skim it. Yeah. As, as a, as an early entry 
in the bloodshot or in the valiant catalog it's like yeah okay sure you know they're building the universe uh i remember thinking at the time because all i knew about valiant was what i was seeing in wizard and and it was always just like make sure you collect all the oh yeah make coupons so that you can get eternal warrior number zero gold foil cover oh my god oh yeah and like it's death mate million. remember the death mate covers yeah death mate the oh image valiant crossover uh, and it's like those those freaking gold foil those gold zero issues they were like they're worth a million billion dollars yeah no they're not stop it so i remember at the time being very curious about why this guy bloodshot looks like rye because Rai pre-exist like Rai, the future man with the sword, mm-hmm. came out before Bloodshot, and I was like, "Oh, why does that guy look like Rai with the circle and the albino skin?" Um, I still do, to this day do not know. Rai is a futuristic version of Bloodshot, designed to look alike. There you go. But Rai came first. Yeah, it's just but, weird. But his book was in the future, far future. So, <laughs> sure. Oh, cool. Marvel sent the comic book cover gimmick to the grave with Amazing Spider-Man 400. The year was 1995, and there was never another never comic gimmick again. ever that again. <laughs> yeah, the last cover gimmick ever. Uh, it's written by J.M. DeMatteis with art by Mark Bagley. There's also a backup story by Stan Lee and uh, Tom Grummet, a young Tom Grummet. Here's your solicit. The status quo of Peter Parker's life is shaken to the core in this anniversary special featuring a tale penned by Stan Lee. That's the backup story. Uh, Plus the origin of Ben Riley. I guess. <laughs> sort of. Not really. <laughs> I don't know. Plus a reminder of the origin of Ben Riley. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Uh, your cover gimmick, an embossed tombstone overlay cover, which means there was a tombstone shaped cardstock overlay that covered up the main uh, what lied underneath, which I think was just like a I don't even remember what was underneath. But yeah, it's <laughs> after 30 years of will she or won't she Aunt May finally succumbs to something. I can't remember what was wrong with her this time. Heart attack, stroke, old age, whatever. But it doesn't matter. She got too hungry and died. <laughs> yeah, she got real hangry. She got real hangry and dropped dead out of out of rage. Before she goes, though, the old girl rallies, allowing her and Peter to finally speak plainly about his life as Spider-Man and how she really felt about it all these years. Those moments are incredibly moving and emotional. I know, like we're making a lot of jokes here, but those parts of the comic book are good, especially for longtime fans of the characters. J.M. DiMatteis' script is pitch perfect, weaving between the ongoing plots and still hitting each emotional beat. The unfortunate thing is that this issue is smack dab in the middle of the clone saga and the A story has to hit the brakes to serve the ongoing crossover, which means we get a tease of yet another clone. We get something about Judas Traveler, who I still don't understand. He was like a man. He was a god. I don't know. I think he was just a guy who was faking being a god. I don't have the slightest clue who that is. <laughs> the, ja- the jackal The jackal is in uh, Ravenscroft or whatever, pretending to be imprisoned when he can escape at any time because it suits him. Why do they say that? Why does it suit you to be in prison? That's stupid. Shut up. He's hiding, I guess. I don't know. He's not hiding. Everybody knows where he is. Yeah, but they think he's not a threat because he's in prison. 
Yeah, no. Except he tells the guard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> how much of a threat he is. <sighs> the silver lining there is that we do get to see the impact of May's illness and death from Ben's perspective. And it's an interesting contrast to Peter's. I actually really liked that. Yeah. The art by a much younger Mark Bagley is strong, but I am glad that over time he has learned how to tone down his tendency to draw ridiculously pronounced jawlines. Mm-hmm. They are like dangerously protruding. Right. Like if you saw a person like this, you would stop that stranger and be like, you need to go to the doctor. Like they, <laughs> like- they all they all look like um, they all look like Jim Carrey as the mask in mid transformation. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 400 has a great main story that is hampered by the needs of the rest of the line. And the cover gimmick is hilariously ghoulish. Uh, I'm giving this a strong skim it because the main story is very good. My recommendation for this particular version is a skim it. Track down the version that doesn't have the cover gimmick. Don't bother because it's dumb. So if you take the tombstone off the cover gimmick, it's a regular cover and it looks like a tombstone and it's just like Spider-Man on a tombstone or whatever. It's like, but yeah, but it's just, it's just art though. Yeah. It's just, it's just a regular cover, but it's still just right. gray. <laughs> like it's, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's gray. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is a comic that I can't blame the creators for, because like you said, it's right. smack dab in the middle of an event. And Marvel editorial is like, nope, the clones are, everyone wants clones. You want the clones, got to get the clones. And Demadius is trying to tell a very heartfelt story about Peter losing his aunt, about Ben Riley not really knowing wholly who he is and seeing Peter losing his aunt and also crying and stuff. And it is heartfelt. Yeah, because to Ben, May is also like, right. May feels like his aunt to this him. Is, this is the only like identity that he has and he's dealing with right. a lot as well. And it really is well done unfortunately there is all this other just ham-fisted clone bullshit that they drop oh, yeah, in like, here K- <laughs> like kane shows up right. to terrorize like, ben from a distance what are we doing you know like it, it, just stay in your lane let Demadius write this story you know and yeah oh it, it's it's a failure it's a failure of an issue and it's not Demadius's fault i'm going to give this a leave it because i don't like the clone saga and I don't think this is strong. really you're going to give it. A, you think it's so, so bad that that's going to giving it a leave it because of what Marvel editorial did to it. Like, because so you're punishing the comic. I'm punishing for the something. Comic. I have to. You're punishing the creators of the comic for things that aren't I'm not their punishing fault. the creators of the comic. I'm saying I don't believe it. It was their fault, but they're doing what they had to do. And we got a crappy comic book because of it. All right. That's OK, but that's a comic with that me falls here. Down. Uh, but follow my logic here. A leave it means it's not worth reading, even despite its flaws. Yes. I don't think this is worth reading because ultimately you don't think it's it worth reading because almost of the main was plot? good. And then there's so much bullshit that by the end of this, I was mad at the comic book. Joe. You know what? For twice in the same <laughs> episode, I, also, I declare that you are wrong. I do not think that this is great. Bigly art. Like this is Bagley. I mean, it's young Bagley it's art. Young All Bagley. of his art looked like this back then. I don't love this, this young Bagley art. And there was a Spider-Man book that I did love at the time. It was not this one. <laughs> like, you know, and the tombstone thing. Yeah. It's ghoulish and it's dumb and it doesn't do anything with the story. The backup story by Stanley is terrible. The art is bad. 
There, wow, and it's not that bad. It's bad, Joe. <laughs> there's not a lot of redeemable things going on here. There, there is. I'm looking at a picture of Aunt May's face as she is like scolding Peter in one panel, and she. Looks I mean, like she a looks damn like monster. <laughs> she looks like cartoon character. I'm yeah. about to die, Aunt May. Oh yeah. man, yeah. No, this just didn't do anything for me. I, I, I gotta give it a leave. It. I think it, and I feel bad for Demadius. He was, he did everything he's good, but. Good God, the cane bullshit, the jackal bullshit. They always like, I mean, I mean unless you were fun, deeply oddly enough, I, I actually kind of like Kane, but I do. Okay. Oddly enough, I kind of like Kane too, but the, he is so forced into this issue. It makes no sense. Like, are they just reminding us Kane's around? <laughs> is that all? They should have done all of the clone saga forward momentum stuff in a backup story. Right. Exactly. And left it and left it out of the Aunt May is dying yes. story. Open with the Aunt May is dying story. Close. Right. Stop at that last page. Aunt May passed away and Peter's crying and Ben Riley's crying. Funeral. Close. Next story. Bunch of clone bullshit. Next story worthless throwaway stanley story and i would say skip it but they tried to mash it all into one and it came out no. a big mess I, I i think you're abusing the powers of the leave it nah yep not a good spider-man Check out our ludicrous speed reviews over at twitternerd.com for more new comics that we read every week or, you know, whenever we get around to it. If you want to know more about the comics we just talked about, check out our show notes where you can find links with more info and hit us up on our Discord to give us your thoughts. Matt, before we move on, we must pick one of these comics to enter the THN private collection. I know. <laughs> So I, so my favorite of these gimmicks is the Ghost Rider Glow in the Dark comic. And I think that's also my favorite comic that I read here. Like, I'm gonna give Yes, it, I agree. I'm going to give it to Ghost Rider. My yeah. favorite actual comic gimmick, though, I think goes to those Phalanx Covenant X-Men covers that had yeah. the stripe with like a holographic uh, like they and were like foil. Uh, it, it was supposed to be like circuit breaker like yes techno organic those yeah. were so cool it was like foil and then there was like a hologram like in the middle of it they were so cool the rest of the hologram covers are terrible and joe do you realize there's like 10 more cover gimmicks that we could have covered <laughs> oh, no, there's there so much so more. many <laughs> there are so many obscure cover gimmicks that like when i did my research uh, i found a site that was like here, yes, comic book uh, gimmick, cover gimmick database. Uh, it stopped at 29 entries. Yeah. And most of them, like, were the same. Like, it's chromium, it's chromium, it's chromium. Right. Um, but, yeah, you got your, like, traditional die cut, like Wolverine 50. Sure. Um, you got comics with covers printed on leather. Oh, yeah. A lot of, the, like, Lady Death. A lot of Lady Death. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of, um... I think Dawn had a leather cover as well. A lot of bad girl comics at yeah. the time did that. Um, uh, you've got comics. There are comics with covers printed on glass. Yep. Ridiculous. Uh, which is bonkers to me. My favorite, um, it's very simple, but it was like, I, I saw that list too, and it was like, foil covers, foil embossed covers, foil embossed holographic covers foil embossed holographic die cut covers like you're going insane you guys yeah. stop it. Uh, i mean and like we definitely we left out probably one of the biggies of the era which are the actual traditional hologram covers oh, yeah. like x-men 25 wolverine 75 yeah. like the um, spider-man one too 
There was uh, every Spider-Man issue for the 30th anniversary month yes. had a hologram cover, and the holograms looked like garbage. Yeah, they were not cool. Um, <laughs> for me, yeah, Ghost Rider, I think, is the best comic we read this week. Uh, well, uh, I mean, Silver Surfer, you know what? Silver Surfer 50 is the best comic we read uh, We read this week, I think. Um, but that glow-in-the-dark cover is too cool. It's so dope. It's too cool. Yeah. But my personal favorite, I love a Chromium cover that looks good, like X-Men Omega, like the Age oh, of Apocalypse, yeah. that uh, one. X-Men Prime. That one looks, and it was a real cover. Uh, it wasn't just like a film over another Yeah, no, cover. it was actual Chromium. Yeah, yeah it's Chromium a real cover. all the way. And, and then, or just like foil, you know, where it's just like, yeah, the silver bits are metallic. Yeah, I just right. think it's simple and, and clean and classy. We return to our current timeline and find ourselves rematerializing in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where I've scraped the glowing ink and the thermal ink from the covers of Ghost Rider and Bloodstrike. Joe, I promise you, one hit of this shit and it'll knock you into next week so we can make our must-read picks for Wednesday, August 31st. Hot damn! What should these nerds be reading next week, Joey? I'm, I'm not sniffing that. My pick for next week is Thunderbolts number one from Marvel. The cost is $4.99. It's written by Jim Zub with art by Sean Isaacs. Here's your solicit. Like lightning. Superpowered crooks have taken hostages in Staten Island. A dimensional rift tears open in Chinatown. Monsters running amok at the Met. Call in the thunder. New York City's finest are here to save the day. Hawkeye, Spectrum, America Chavez, Power Man, Persuasion, and Guts and Glory. Ugh, new character, God, don't even I hate think that about name. it. You know them, you love them. They're the Thunderbolts. Are they? In the aftermath of Devil's Reign, the Big Apple has big problems, and it's up to a new group of Thunderbolts to turn things around. But. When Clint Barton gets tasked with heading up this team and proving they can go toe-to-toe with anything the Marvel Universe can throw at them, the first opponent he's going to have to face is himself. Uh, I am a sucker for the Thunderbolts. I've always loved the Thunderbolts. The fun twist of Devil's Reign is where, like, Mayor Fisk, running rampant and drunk on power, creates the Thunderbolts as, like, a Gestapo force within the NYPD. Right. I thought that was kind of a fun thing. That was fun. Um, and now Luke Cage is the mayor and he's like, I'm going to turn the Thunderbolts back into what they should be a team of peacekeepers. Uh, and I think it's great. Hawkeye in the Thunderbolts is always fun. I love this lineup. I don't know who Guts and Glory is. I don't care. I hate that name. I've never really read anything that wowed me, uh, starring the, the, the newer power man, but whatever. I wish there were some more traditional Thunderbolts in the mix, but we'll see. Yeah. I like this creative team. I love Hawkeye as the lead. Just give me Hawkeye. I want more Hawkeye all the time. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Fair enough. My pick for next week is Amazing Fantasy 1000. It's from Marvel. It's $7.99. It's written by Michael Cho, Jonathan Hickman, Kurt Busiek, and Neil Gaiman. With art by Terry Dodson, Giuseppe Communicoli, Steve McNiven, and Michael Cho. I think there's more as well. Here's your solicit. The comic that brought you Spider-Man hits issue 1000. I don't know how it's doing that, but here it is. Yeah, somebody probably checked that math. This is some serious Marvel math that we're doing here. We're going big to celebrate in this, our thousandth issue of Amazing Fantasy. An all-star roster of creators are coming together to celebrate Peter Parker and Spider-Man's birthdays. Now, I am a huge sucker 
for these big birthday issues where we bring like a bunch of fantastic writers, a bunch of amazing, you know, artists, and you let them do these little vignettes. And at, you know, a couple of them make me tear up. A couple of them be the coolest thing you've ever seen. And hopefully they don't have to do a bunch of BS to set up new things or drop clones in it to, you know, like further the story that's going on right now. I feel like this is probably going to be done with a lot of class. And I love these issues. I just, <laughs> yes, I love them. I'm sure the, uh, the height them. of class. Uh, you know what? I agree with you. I like these big birthday extravaganzas as well. Um, if I, if I get even a whiff of the masked Raider, I am out. <laughs> I don't because that all turned into a big pile of nothing. The THN trade of the week for August 31st goes to Apache delivery service trade paperback. It's from dark horse. It's 1999. It's written by Matt Kent with art by Tyler Jenkins. Here's your solicit. Two haunted men are on a hunt in the jungles of Vietnam, searching for clues to a missing treasure trove of gold that was stolen from all over Asia by a Japanese general during World War II. Eventually, they find a series of hidden caves in the mountains near the coast. Bodies start showing up, murder victims and mutilated corpses. As our warriors travel deeper into the mystery, they learn more disturbing facts about each other and become paranoid of one another as they get closer and closer to the gold. While at the same time, a bizarre serial killer is hunting them down. This collects the four issue miniseries. Look, I, Matt I, Kent, I Tyler this. Jenkins. So, and I picked all it you need because I read all four issues. And it's friggin' excellent. I love Matt Kent. This is a little more down to earth, caperish, I guess I would say. But with that like extra Matt Kent twist, and this artist, Tyler Jenkins, I love this dude. I love what he does. It's so great for these kind of like noir stories like this. This is another one that is like made for television. Give me this. Give me this miniseries, please. Go pick this up. It's wonderful. Yeah, uh, Tyler Jenkins, uh, if you don't recognize the name, he was the uh, co-creator of Peter Panzerfaust. Oh, that's right. That's right. Bad image. Uh, he's very, very talented. You can find links with more info on our picks in our show notes, and we always post our must-read picks on Discord, Twitter, and Facebook every Wednesday, so you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic shop. And let us know what you thought of our picks in the new comics channel of our Discord. Correction from last week, The Art of Battle Toads comes out this week. I apologize. Okay. Next How week. dare you? <laughs> <Yeah>. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for Teach In 676. Next week, we're back to reviewing new comics, and we got a new Patreon extra, a Bruin. If you want to rap about this week's episode or comics you are reading or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show. We call THN, cover to cover. We do it on Saturdays. Now pay attention, people. We are starting at a new time, 10.30 Central Time. We have heard you. People want to be done by noon. They got shit they got to do. Football starting. Kids are having fun. I get it. Join us. 10.30 Central Time this Saturday. You can watch the broadcast live on our Facebook page. But if you want to play along, you have to join our Discord. And there you will learn how to chat and talk with us and be on the live show. Become a love slave. Join the Discord. And don't forget, we set you up with a question of the week. This week's question is courtesy of Mark Stern via Discord. I have a random question that came to mind when I was laughing and thinking about what would happen if Dr. Doom tried fighting Magneto, especially given uh, how handily Magneto defeated the unbeatable foe in trial by combat in X-Men Red number three. 
we all know, look, real talk, Dr. Doom has planned for magnetic attacks, sure. but whatever. He's got magic armor. Come on. I mean, it's still kind of a fun thing to think about. Yeah. So the question is this. What is the most lopsided matchup you've seen in comics? And did that matchup turn out the way you were expecting? Right. Like when uh, Wonder Woman uh, loses to Storm in, a, in, in uh, the Marvel versus DC. Oh, DC versus Marvel. Yeah, yeah. DC versus Marvel. Stupid. Did Wonder Woman lose to Storm? Yeah, because the fans got to vote and they all voted for Storm. That's definitely why Wolverine beat Lobo, even though there's no chance in yeah. hell that Wolverine can beat Lobo. Totally. And it was supposed to be like Wolverine versus Batman, and DC was like, Mm-mm, no way. Even if the fans choose Wolverine, we are not making this comic. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming our way. Uh, you can send them to us on the Discord, over email, over Twitter, Facebook, whatever. You know how to get a hold of us. If you can't make it on to cover to cover live, shoot an MP3 to two headed nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. The number is 402-819-4894. You could be internet famous. Now, we're going to need you to keep your recorded messages on the shorter side so that we can share the air with the live callers. There are always a bunch and there's never enough time. So please, if you can't be there, keep it short. If you're new to the show and you'd rather get a full John Bogdanov Lobo back piece tattoo than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twitternerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Tony Mathers. He's new? Really? This guy just started paying... He's back. Uh, he had to go away for a bit. Oh. Now he's back, baby. Okay. And well, when you go away and you come back, you're new. You're new again. New again to us. I was like, I thought that guy's been paying to be our friend for a long time, regardless. He he, he did for a while, and then he had to take a break as life gets in the way. It I always hear. does. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. You'll hear all kinds of exclusive content, or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal. A little PayPal button. It's adorable and it'll make you feel better when you push it. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to legendary Marvel Comics inker, artist, and painter. No, those aren't all the same thing. Tom Palmer, who passed away late last week at age 81. Palmer's work had an impact on multiple generations of comic fans, adding lush brushstrokes to the likes of Neil Adams, Gene Colan, John Buscema, John Byrne, Steve Epting, and many, many more. He was considered the definitive inker of Gene Colan, and he was with Gene for most, I think, if not all, of the run of Tomb of Dracula. I think it was all. I think it was the whole damn thing. I was first introduced to uh, Mr. Palmer's work in the epic Avengers story Under Siege, where the masters of evil infiltrate Avengers Mansion and nearly destroy the Avengers. It is an amazing story. I've been a fan ever since. Where do you, Mr. Palmer? Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer. Might just shoot your pull file and then rub blood all over it. This is the two-headed nerd. Signing off! When in doubt, double down on the references. That's what I always say. 